It's there's something so sweet, even in with the bitterness. Like you need the bitterness for the the full flavor, right? <laughs> and that's the soup, right? Just really, and then we get to drink it, right? drink it in, drink it in, let it permeate through the whole body, right? And then we we go. We have that. We're filled up, filled up with all that, all the impressions, the impressions over these days together. They're right here. That's our our present experience. It goes, things change, and yet we are filled up with the way things are changing. It's not like we're empty, (laughs) you know, and I think sometimes that's the confusion in the teachings, is there's a lot of emphasis on emptiness. And that's why I wanted to call this empty mind full heart, because I think sometimes there can be that, that if you know very much about the Buddhist teachings, there's a lot of uh, emphasis on the empty, empty, let it go, let it go, let it go, empty. But it's not so much, there hasn't been so much emphasis on the fullness in this tradition. It's more in other traditions, where there's uh, some Buddhist traditions where there's more emphasis on the fullness. But here it's really more on the let go, let go, let go. But when we let go, what's our experience? And that's what I'm interested in. You know, I'm interested in what's here as we let go, because what we're letting go of is the way we hold on to the things that we think are going to bring us that lasting gratification, that lasting satisfaction. And they're usually things that are changing, like relationships and jobs and houses, like up in Santa Rosa, you know, people, um, experiences, in even meditative experiences, they come and they go. And I think in some ways that's certainly for me, been the theme of this retreat, kind of this, this sense of uh, transiency, this kind of this coming and going, particularly with the fires burning. You know, you know they're, they're an hour north, but they were right here. And there wasn't any way for us to ignore that. You know, I mean, even the smoke kind of was here and then it would go. It was here and then it would go. And then today, it's like this really crystal clear afternoon, a morning, we're still in the morning, and the winds, the cool, kind of cool, clear winds are blowing, and just because the winds are blowing in a different direction, doesn't mean the fires aren't out, then some of them are only maybe 10% contained or 3% contained, you know? So, so there's this, this sense of this transient nature that has been with us over these days and the the teachings of compassion and equanimity and and really how to ground ourselves and open ourselves to the truth and to the nature of the way things really are. Yesterday, um, Jack Cornfield was down in the uh, community uh, meditation center, the big hall that is brand new, just was built last year. And um, I, I, my, where I stay is at the other side of that. It's called the teacher village. And so in the morning, at, when I was walking up here about a quarter to nine, everybody was arriving. So the cars were coming, the caretakers were parking, the par- you know, parking attendants, and people were coming in. There was all this activity. And um, 
Ah, and I walked by, and you know, this was all arising. It was all arising. And then I went back for lunch, and it was going full, you know, and I walked by, and everybody is, you know, out for lunch and in the sunshine, and Jack Cornfield came out. We had a little chat together, and, you know, all this kind of bustling, and, and I walked by. And then I came back at about a quarter to six at, in the evening. Nothing. <laughs> I was, was not one person. All the lights were shut down. The cars were gone. Every, it was as if nothing had happened. And it, was, it, it really struck me in a way that sometimes we, we can miss it, but it was so... The contrast was so strong. And there was just this building. And it was as if it never happened. Where, where did it go? Where did all that go? Where does it go? <laughs> and it was just really that sense of that, kind of like the sand through the fingers. And it's, it's like a movie. It was like a... a, a like, did it happen? Didn't it happen? You know? And I think that's what, what, what can start to happen for us. It's, you know, this, this uh, reality can feel so, so mysterious when we start to have more of a sense of this uh, uh, transitor- transitory nature of things where we're wanting to hold on, we're wanting to control, we're wanting to manipulate, we're wanting to fix, we're wanting to change. But <laughs> things can feel so elusive, Like we can't get what we want. You know, this kind of this, where, where is it? I can't hold on to it. Even when I try to hold on to it, it, it passes away. So, so when we understand the fundamental teachings of the Buddha, we see that that's the way it is. And when we try to hold on, we get what we call rope burn. You know, it's like you're holding on to a, you know, and it's just being yanked out of your hand and you're, you burn, it burns, right? The nature of that attachment. You know, we, we get this, we start to get this deeply. Um, this, this body, right? This body is changing. You know, for those of us who are getting a little bit older, you look in the mirror and you go, that's me? (laughs) Right? The wrinkles start, you know, and it's you're looking in the mirror and (laughs) this body, right? And then the aches and the pains and, you know, the different uh, 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 illnesses and, you know, all the things that start happening. It's like breaking down, decay, moving towards death, all things. Yesterday, before I walked up here at uh, the quarter to six, I, there's a, a bunch of little birds that all fly around there, and um, I guess they nestle into the bushes, and then sometimes when we walk by, they get, they get alarmed because they're, uh, they're quite, quite settled in there. And this little sparrow, when I, I had to walk into the kitchen for something, this little sparrow really got frightened by me and flew right into the glass door. And fell over, and um, sometimes they can recover. So I waited a little bit, but it didn't. And so it died. And it just had that, like, you know, just end of life. And so I was right with it. 
because I'm in that space right now. I'm not, I'm not busy. I'm not hurrying. I'm really present. So I took a little time, time with it and, you know, felt some forgiveness to, that I scared it and scooped it up and put it at the, um, the seat of the Kuan Yin statue that was there. It put it by her, by her seat. And, you know, these moments of, uh, we wish that it could be different. You know, we wish it could be otherwise, but this is the way it is. All things come into being and they pass away. And how can the heart be uh, uh, settled enough, strong enough that we can hold these sorrows and these joys without being overwhelmed, right? Without being pulled into the emotional vortex, Really what it feels like, it's like a vo- the motions can feel like a vortex and we can get lost. We lose our ground. We lose a sense of our, of our, of our, st- our, our balance, our stability. So our practices really give us support for this. They give us support to meet the comings and the goings, the changes, the challenges of our daily life so we can meet, meet them with wisdom and compassion. There's a very um, um, important chant in the Buddhist tradition that I've been chanting. I notice I've been chanting it here this, this uh, uh, week while I'm walking or while I'm sitting. It just keeps coming to me. And it's the Anicca Vata Sankara chant. Some of you might know it. It goes like this. Anicca vata sankara upadewa idamino upajituva nirushante te vipasamo sukho. And what it means is all conditioned things are impermanent. They arise and pass away. Deeply understanding this brings the greatest happiness. Deeply understanding this brings the greatest happiness. And I think we can understand now why that is. And that's what brings me so much joy when I sit with people and we explore the Dharma together. Because we start to understand why the letting go why the understanding of the comings and goings and not holding on, not getting caught in our attachments bring us the happiness and the peace and the ease that we so long for and we so much want in our lives. And so we settle into that wisdom, that truth, that knowing, that understanding, this noble truth of the way things are. You see, that's, you hear this again and again in this tradition, vipassana, the practice that we do, means to see clearly the way things are. That's all we're doing through our practice. See clearly the way things are so we can let go. Let go of our grasping, let go of our holding, which ego, ego demands, ego control, ego fear, ego grasping. You know, it's all, that's what we call ego in this tradition. The sense of me, the sense of self that's isolated and thinks it can control everything else. This kind of dualistic uh, perception 
that I'm here and everything else is there and, and I have some kind of supreme powers that I can control this uh, world, I can control this earth, right? Yeah, and look what happens when we think we can control this earth, right? We're in the situation we are right now with climate change and these terrible, terrible things that are happening. And there was a report in the local newspaper that the fires, is a scientist who can explain why these fires are climate change, not just random Around fires, the whole way with the winds and the humidity and the and the lack of rain and the drought and all those conditions come together, and then they create uh, uh, conditions for extreme weather. Right, but we 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 need to wake up. Right, we wake up to what we're doing. Wake up to what we're doing. And um, when I say you know let go of our attachments. I don't mean let go of the feeling of the way that we're impacted by things that are happening. Because I think that can be another confusion. That we think that we're feeling strongly because we're too attached. And if we weren't feeling so strongly, we wouldn't be so attached. But I'm not sure it works like that. I think sometimes as we let go, and we open more and allow ourselves to be vulnerable in the face of the way things are, we feel more. We're moved more and touched more by what we encounter and what we see and what we meet and the, the, the pain and the, 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 the hate and the violence and the corruption and the, um, uh, what we do to each other on this planet as human beings. And we, we start to feel deeply touched by that. So that's, we have to be, what we're learning is how to be with our emotions as we start to open up so that we're not overwhelmed, that we're not carried away by this emotional flood. That's where the equanimity comes in. That's where the balance comes in. There's this um, um, lovely... Um, uh, quote from the uh, uh, from the from the suttas where it said that when the Buddha heard his two chief disciples, Venerable Sariputta and Venerable Magalana, had died, the Buddha said it was like the sun and the moon had gone out from the sky. It was like the sun and the moon had gone out from the sky. There's deep deep connection there. Now we say, oh, that's confusing because it sounds like the Buddha was attached to his, <laughs> to his disciples. <laughs> right? We want to we wanna make sure we understand this. doesn't mean that the grief isn't there. You know, the deep pain and hurt when we lose things that we love and people that we love. Of course we feel that. I was so confused about this for so long. I just really thought I was supposed to look like that Buddha over there and, you know, be unmoving and unfeeling and, you know, completely still. And that somehow was the expression of an enlightened uh, understanding. I'm glad I let that one go because that was, (laughs) that was not helpful. I was just getting more and more rigid, you know, trying to look like a Buddha or, you know, feel like what I imagined a Buddha was like. 
we have to continually let go of our ideas and our images and our expectations and our any way the mind starts to form ideas about what this practice is about it gets in the way this is direct experience direct knowing direct contact and each one of us need to find out for ourselves what does it mean to be more free what does it mean to be liberated from our pain? What does it mean to be free of our greed and our hate and our confusion? Utejaniya, one of the wonderful Burmese uh, teachers in our tradition, said that you don't become a Buddha. You only cease to be deluded. Right? Do you get that? You don't become a Buddha. You cease to be deluded. So waking up, getting more clear about the way things are. Right? So we honor our humanity, this mind, this body, this uh, sangha, collect, the collective community that we are engaged with, collective humanity. We honor and pay respect to all things, all beings, all people, all conditions, and, and, and see where we can extrapolate the, the wisdom and the compassion, like milking a cow, you know, getting the, like getting the, the, the milk, right, the cream. So what we'll find as we uh, start to leave the retreat today is that you probably will notice that you feel somewhat sensitive, and you may have noticed that already. There is a tenderness, you know, there's an openness, there's a, uh, as you were speaking with people and starting to pack up and leaving the retreat, you know, you feel that kind of um, connectivity to things, sensitivity to things. And that's natural, you know. And there might be, if we're not able to be comfortable with that or tolerate that, what will happen is that we'll start to um, contract around it and defend against it, and kind of like, oh, I can't go out in the world like that, you know, I better kind of pull myself back together again. And so we want to be a little bit watchful of the return of some of those habitual tendencies. And um, just kind of, not that you can't, shouldn't do that, but just to be aware of what starts to happen as you move into the, into the, what we call the world, right? The world out there, which we're still in the world, but somehow we call that <laughs> going back into the world, right? <laughs> so, so take care of yourselves. Like re- really take good care of yourselves. And what we say is that the retreat has like a mirror image, you know? So if you're on retreat for five days and it's about five days where you'll feel a certain level of sensitivity, and kind of, you know, maybe disorientation even in some ways where you'll want to get back to the way you were, but you actually can't just yet, you know, you need a little more time and you need, need a little space. So it's really important over these next five days to take time for yourself, take time to go back into the stillness, back into the silence, whether you have families, whether you have jobs, there's no excuses. <laughs> now, we know you can just take, you know, go and sit down for five minutes. Just go into a room and shut the door and just connect again. Take a couple of breaths. Connect with your body. Ground again. And uh, one and I were just talking about just five minutes, you know, just five minutes. And it can change the whole day. 
you know, just kind of coming back and connecting in that way. I call it poking holes in the day, you know, poking holes in that momentum, which can feel so solid, kind of we're just in this kind of routine of our day, and in just kind of stepping out of that stream, of that momentum, just stepping out. And it can be two minutes, standing at the sink, washing the dishes, you know, just... Ah, just taking that breath again, reconnecting again. And it's the re... Oh, it's a time. Oh, okay. One has to go right now. He has an international flight. <laughs> Thank you so much. Good to see, see you. Mm-hmm. Remember the five minutes. <laughs> it, was, it was your idea. <laughs> Yeah, so it's just, that's, that's the, the, it's kind of a commitment that we make with ourselves. We really make this important. And particularly over these next five days, take time in, in nature, maybe taking some walks, taking a bath. Um, and most importantly is to make time to meditate. You know, really carving that out. And for some people, it's hard. You know, I would say the minimum is 20 minutes. You know, 20 minutes, if you can get 20 minutes, because it seems like it takes about that much time before the sort of the superficial thoughts can just start to settle down a little bit. And then maybe there'll be a chance you can feel your body. <laughs> but, the, but, the, but the momentum of, the, of all the impressions from the day, depending on your lifestyle and what you're engaged in, can be so uh, much do you have to leave also? Okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> that, that we do need to take the time to clear that. So through the stillness, right? So we come back into the stillness, still the body. We may not be able to still the mind, but at least we can still the body as a support for that possibility of that starting to, the, the superficial thoughts just to start to dissolve. It's kind of like that snow, the snowball in the acrylic uh, ball where, you know, you shake it up and the snow comes down in the ball. And then if in a, about three seconds, it's all kind of at the bottom of the, of the ball. The snow is on the ground. And it's very much like that. That's really the image, a good image of what starts to happen in our meditation practice where it's, everything's kind of stirred up and motions and mind and all of that and that busyness. And then when we come into the stillness, there's the potential for that to settle, right? For that to dissolve. And then we're back into the immediacy and the direct experience of, our, of, our, uh, of what's happening. So every day. So I think that um, when we put the Dharma in the center of our lives, then what gives shape to our day, what gives shape to the day is what I call forms of practice. Like it's just practice. The whole day becomes a day of practice, but just takes different forms, different expressions. So I want to talk about that a little bit and what those forms look like when we put the Dharma in the center of our life. The first one, of course, is the foundational practices that I've just been speaking about of the connection back, the connection back with the body and the breath. You know, really, and it doesn't have to necessarily be through formal sitting. You know, that's what we've been practicing here. Anywhere, anytime, 
one second of just ah, back. I, do, I, I really think that's what I'm doing all day long is just returning the attention. You know, attention goes out to something and then just coming back through the breath and the body and my feet, feeling my feet or my, uh, my butt on the seat of where I am just again and again and again all day long. From the minute I wake up till the minute I go to sleep at night, just returning that attention, returning that attention so that I don't go, the attention doesn't get too far out into the things, into the conditions that are happening in my life. So this basic foundational practice of the, of the, of the returning, returning back. If we're busy, if we have a busy life, then we need to do that more. We actually have to remember that more because it's the only way we'll really bring in some balance. Otherwise, all those things in our lives will just pull us, pull us, just pull us, pull us, drive us. And, and unless we're remembering to come back and to reconnect, that will be the shape of our life. That will be the, 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 the way that it, that it takes form. Incorporating the, the heart practices we've been doing here, using, really drawing on those as a, incorporating those more fully, both in the formal practice, but also in the informal way. You know, through, as I was uh, saying earlier about the, the metta, you know, just the, the attitude of metta, just the kindness that goes out. And it may be through words of saying, you know, may you be happy walking down the street, just sending metta, sitting on a bus, being at the supermarket, just this expression of kindness, hoping that people are well, people are happy. You know, this becomes part of our, our orientation in our practice. It's a, I call a form of practice where we're, we're, we're bringing it in in a conscious and intentional way. We have the, the four Brahma-Baharas of uh, loving-kindness, compassion, uh, empathetic joy, and equanimity. The book, the classic book, is Sharon Salzberg's book on loving-kindness. Um, I have a book list that is on my website. Uh, my website is shardarogel.com. <laughs> Easy to remember. And there's other resources on there, too, which I'll talk about in a moment. But the uh, book list, um, which I have a couple of books highlighted, and Sharon's book on loving kindness is—it's a—it's a, a foundational book. It's a classic book, and it has the four practices in there that we follow and that we utilize. So that would be a very good uh, way to bring that practice more fully into your into your um, formal practice and your your day. We have forgiveness practices, gratitude practices. Um, you know, all those are the, the heart practices, the way we express the heart. One of those key practices is dana, the D-A-N-A, dana, which is the expression of generosity, the generosity of our spirit. And that certainly isn't here in, in Spirit Rock, that form is often through the, um, the financial support that you give to Spirit Rock or to the teachers or to the, the running of the center. But um, dana happens in any way that you offer yourself in a spirit of generosity. So this, this spirit of giving, the spirit of giving your, your services or your skills or your support, um, service, some form of service where you're actually engaged in helping other people, this dana, uh, where we practice this great compassion for each other 
for, for, to help each other, to care about each other, this offering of dana. And we know that we really need it in our world right now. There's, everything is kind of cracking open. Things are being exposed in our, our kind of the, the, the culture that haven't been exposed before, particularly, for example, like systemic uh, racism and um, uh, climate change and uh, all the issues around uh, diversity in our in our world and inclusivity around uh, gender identities and you know it's all kind of breaking open right now which I find so exciting it's it's like it's been a long time coming and the social media is really supporting that because information is coming through very quickly now and so these there's so many ways to to get involved to support the the change that is happening collectively in our world right now. So if you feel moved, if you feel drawn, then again, through that deep listening, see if there's some way that you feel moved into action. Not that you should, so we want to throw out any kind of should, because it needs to come from the heart. It needs to come deeply from what we feel moved by, which then will bring us into wisdom and compassion. Not an ego uh, idea about who we need to be in the world, but this is, I don't have a choice. I don't have a choice anymore. I moved in this way. So this, this dana, where we really contribute to the collective uh, whole here, and we do that also through another form of practice, which we call our morality, our, our, uh, our, uh, the way we engage in our ethic, our ethics, uh, and our behavior, and our actions, so that we're following the guidelines uh, that are offered in the Buddhist uh, 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 practice around not killing, not stealing, not causing harm through our sexuality, uh, the, the wise speech, you know, where we're really uh, examining our speech. We're speaking in ways that are kind and beneficial and helpful. We really bring attention to our, uh, our speech, speak truthfully and honestly like we've been practicing here on this retreat. So those five guidelines become the kind of the bedrock of our practice, right? another form of our practice. Right? And, and all of these practices... We, the, some of them are, we, they sound like they're directed to others, but we don't want to forget ourselves. <laughs> we need to keep bringing, putting ourselves in that circle. I need the compassion. I need, you know, the love. I need the, the, the generosity of my own spirit for myself to take care of myself. So, so we're including ourselves in this, in this circle of, of uh, generosity. And then, then following through with our practice, you know, maybe hopefully going on more retreats. You can see the, the power of retreat practice. It's a whole different kind of thing when you put yourself into a, a concentrated environment. You know, then you're not just relying on your own resources but you're gathering the resources of everybody here collectively together and the all that's gone on here before, the kind of the collective energy that's in the walls, that's in the rug, that's in the, the plants, you know, I mean, it's like, it's, it's a power, that sacred energy 
that's here. So you, you come in and you um, feel the concentration of all of that sacred energy which supports your practice. So, so perhaps coming back, doing more retreat, in the same way, listening to teachings, listening to Dharma talks, reading books, having a book by your bedside or by your altar where you meditate, picking up some wise reflections every day. Um, and of course, online. <laughs> My gosh, it has just exploded. Three years ago, I couldn't even find the suttas. They just still hadn't had the, the, the Pali canon translate. Now all the suttas are online. I can just type in a, a word like anicca, and it, all these references come up from all the different suttas. I mean, it's really so phenomenal how it has supported the, the Dharma. And of course, there's not just this tradition, but so many traditions that are available to us now. And online courses. In the last two years, there's this onslaught of online courses that you can participate in. It's kind of the thing right now is for a teacher to offer an online course where people can do it in the, uh, in their own, in the comfort, comfort of their own home. So, so you can engage with teachers in that way, with teachings in that way, in all, uh, many in our tradition. Um, uh, some of that you can is avail- that information is available on the Spirit Rock website of what's available, but also I also have some links on my website of of ways to find out what's actually going on that way. Um, Tricycle magazine, tricycle.com. It's from the Tibetan tradition, but they offer so much. You can subscribe to their magazine. They have a digital magazine, and they just have incredible resources of movies and online teachings and, and, and books and all kinds of teachings available. I think it's one of the better resources out there. So in a way, we don't have much, much, many excuses anymore. <laughs> When I started, there, there were two books and no internet. <laughs> we, had to, we had to like mail request forms to England to get some audio tapes from some of the, some, these two teachers over there, Christopher Titmus and Christina Feldman, who in, back in the late 70s, early 80s, were the, was give, giving some of the best Dharma talks. And so we had to wait like six weeks to get the audio tapes <laughs> and then have our cassette player, you know. <laughs> I mean, times have changed, right? It's right at our fingertips now. Uh, and also the, the the virtual sanghas. You know, one of the things that people really, um, really want is connection to sangha, to like-minded people. And it's a very, very important support for us in our practice is to have community and to have with sitting groups or um, uh, people, friends, Dharma friends, close friends that you can sit with, you can talk to, you can gather together with. And this is a wonderful support. The, the Sangha is one of the, the jewels in the refuge, one of the refuges, which we call one of the jewels in the practice. And so I really encourage you to see if you can find a Sangha, find a community, find a group that uh, you feel 
uh, uh, some affinity with and uh, join them. Just check it out. All this, all this is kind of a, an experiment. We just check it out. See what resonates, what doesn't resonate. Um, but it's wonderful to sit with other people. It's a place of safety. It's a place of refuge for us. But there are now a lot of online or virtual sanghas. You know, like with climate change, the eco-sattva sangha, you know, eco-sattva, that's one of the links on my uh, website, which it's people involved in climate action. And uh, it's a wonderful sangha of people who gather together and meet together and online and there's some chat forums. I mean, it's it's even beyond me. I have to say, the things that are happening, I don't even really understand yet. (laughs) So all of these are what starts to shape our life, right? They give shape to our life. When when the Dharma is in the center, it starts to become what gives expression and form to our life, rather than the things we think should be giving shape and form. Uh, And then give it a certain flavor or expression, it's, everything starts to change. It's like things start to soften at the edges a little bit, because you know, the Dharma is right there in the center as our support. So this is the way I see it. Uh, kind of one, kind of one um, like a mantra that goes through my mind sometimes is just do something differently. Do something differently. If we do the same old, same old, same old, we're going to get the same thing. (laughs) So do something differently. Maybe, you know, each day, do something differently. Listen to the heart. What does the heart want to do that it's not doing, that we're not making important or giving enough time to? Do something differently. If you don't like what what you're getting then do it differently (laughs) through that deep listening. So that's what I want to offer before we we go off. I think you can turn that off now. Yeah. I always feel there's um, so much more. I just, you know, I kind of get a download of this, you know, Dharma... Um, that I want to offer. And so sometimes I have to edit myself. I have to keep <laughs> editing and just to sort of, so you don't get overloaded. And, and, I, and I hope that that hasn't been the case on this retreat because I feel like I, you know, I've had you for five days and it's like, okay, I re- this is what I really want you to understand. And, you know, before you go and, you know, just keep giving as much as I possibly can. And uh, then wish for the best, right? <laughs> let go, let go, let go. So, um, so maybe we'll just open it up and uh, just for a little bit and just see if there's any last questions, anything that uh, still lingering for you, anything that you want to say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Have you done that before or you... 
Well, I have done it before. In fact, I taught in India for 15 years. But <laughs> yeah, I would go every winter for three, two, three months in India. But um, you're catching me when I'm kind of on the other side of my teaching career. I'm starting to move a little into teaching less. And so I'm not taking up new things at this point. And I have, um, I have two communities that I'm engaged with more, more full on. And one's in the Saskatchewan, Canada with Donna, who, who is a, the leader who organized that 23 years ago. And um, so I go to Saskatchewan and support that community. And then I go to New Zealand. And uh, I've been going there for 23 years also. So um, I'm, I'm, I support communities there. And that's really mostly what I do. I, oh, I teach here um, twice a year. So next year I'm going to have a retreat um, uh, in June of uh, here. The same, same thing. We're going to be doing a, a what we call a parallel. It's parallel to the big retreat there. And the dates are um, June 11th to the 17th next year and that one's going to be six days so we'll have an extra day a number of people have said oh i wish this was a little bit longer so we'll just add a day and i'm i'm also my intention is to have a um an a, assistant uh, probably a teacher trainee who will also be doing movement so i want to incorporate a little bit of movement as well because it's this is such an embodied practice. So I think really bringing the mindfulness more into the movement uh, practices would be helpful too. So that's my intention for next year. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm on that, trying to find somebody. Right, and so the next retreat, and, there, um, and there's um, flyers, and I, I just brought them up here just to make sure people saw it, but if, even if you're not able to go, maybe you know someone who can, but it's called Waking Up Together. And it starts in about, what, three weeks, I think. <laughs> Maybe two weeks. Um, and um, it's, it's with myself and James Barras, uh, Frank Ostaseski, uh Angie Stevens, and Vinnie Ferraro, and Pam Dunn, who's a, a woman of color from the East Coast. And what we're going to do is it's, going to be a, it's not going to be a silent sitting and walking, sitting and walking retreat, but it's going to be building a, m- a little bit more community-oriented. That's why it's waking up together so that we really collectively come together with our wisdom and our understanding and support each other to wake up. So it will be silence, but also some interaction and um, really bringing the communities together in a way. So we're very excited about that. This hasn't been done before. It's a, a new kind of retreat. So there are flyers for that if you know somebody who that might be appropriate for or yourself. Um, so that's happening in June and in November, next June. And then I teach, every year I teach the Labor Day retreat. So right over Labor Day with James Barras and Howie Cohen, which is a great retreat. We have a lot of fun on that retreat. It's about five days. So otherwise I don't teach here very much. So I was happy to be able to do, do it this time. Yeah. Yeah, what else is on your mind? Seventeenth. Mm-hmm. It's in the program. <laughs> Do you have any suggestions for starting a sitting group? 
Yeah, yeah, that's, thank you for asking. Yeah, um, if you want to have a group and there isn't one, you just start putting out the word, just start talking to people. And it might be that at, this, at the beginning, you, that people are from, other, they practice different kinds of meditation, but that's okay. It's kind of like just getting some people together who are interested in meditation and you create a place. And it's good if it's just like maybe the same day twice a month or something like that so people kind of know it's happening and um just sit together and then afterwards have a little conversation and some tea that's a good way to start and if the group starts to form a little bit then you can start to have uh somebody facilitate it and bring in a reading or a teaching a short teaching and then have a discussion about that teaching rather than just a check-in right and then you, that starts to bring a little bit more, uh, more of the Dharma in, right? And reflection and study and kind of do it like that. You know, hour and a half. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, to sit for how long do you A half an hour. Mm-hmm. Um, Nope, nope. You just just use, but it might be helpful to ha- let people know how to sit with that. If you know how and they don't know how, <laughs> just listening meditation, right? Hearing meditation, that's all right. Yeah, and then maybe maybe as you start to gather those folks together, something else will show up, and you can move to a quieter place. But I think your intention is where the power is, and that'll gather people together. Yeah, great. Mm-hmm. I just want to say um, that you brought so much wisdom and compassion in such a with so much grace. The choreography was just <laughs> beautiful and incredible, and I feel like my understanding of um, the four foundations of mindfulness, the seven factors of awakening, the uh, worldly winds. I mean, all of it is just kind of, I feel that my understanding mm. has increased exponentially. Mm. I'm really so glad. I'm so glad. Yes, that was my intention. <laughs> and then there was the action, and then there was a result. <laughs> I'm so pleased that that was the result for you. <laughs> yeah, thank you. And I'm, I'm, one of the things that I love best is connecting the dots. And that is sort of kind of one of my, my gifts, is I love to synthesize. I love to bring things together and, and then make it simple and understandable in a way that people... And also teaching in India for all those years was um, I, people came from all different countries and different languages and English was their second language. And I, need, I really wanted to be able to speak the Dharma in a way that people could understand with all those esoteric language. And so it's just something that's kind of... It's, my teaching is synthesized in that way. So I'm really glad that it was effective. Yeah, thank you for that. <laughs> I think at this point in my, you know, it's been been about 40, 40 some years, you know, that um, I feel pretty comfortable with the way that I understand things. And so it's kind of fun to share that. It's like, well, what about, maybe this will be helpful. Oh. 
Thank you so much, Vanda, for that. Really appreciate it. I can really take that in. And one of the, um, I, 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 as you were speaking, and especially about the way the feminine has been woven in through all these you know, thousands of years, and not acknowledged, right? And not acknowledged. And so, you know, part of my journey has been uh, feeling the courage to face the patriarchal uh, uh, religion, religions, and speak, keep speaking my feminine truth, and and so I think that's partly, you know, ushering, uh, being one who's helping to usher that feminine expression and voice in to the world, which is uh, it's, it's it's a difficult task. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I, I have my own conditioning. See, that's, that's where the challenge is. Like, I was conditioned to not do that. You know, I was conditioned by a, a mother who said that the only thing that mattered in life was to find a good husband who had a lot of money, you know, <laughs> and he'll take good care of you. You know, <laughs> that, that was... That was <laughs> Are you okay? <laughs> you know, so so not only am I dealing with the external patriarchy, but I'm also dealing with my own internal patriarch. You know, and 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 so it's been a really rough ride. You know, to keep listening. I think that's why I keep emphasizing the deep listening so much because when I do that, then I can feel the fire and my anger and my kind of you know relentlessness. And I'm not going to just you know kind of uh, uh, collapse and you know be a doormat. You know for men to walk over, you know. So, I mean, you know, so that's a little, a little of the fire, right? You know, a little of the fire. So it's been, it's been a rough ride in my generation. Now, the, the new generation, the younger women, oh, wow. They're so beautiful. The new teachers, the new women, the, the women teachers are coming up. Oh, I just bow down to them because they, they don't have the same conditioning and they're just on fire. And beautiful integration of a lot of understanding that I just ne- never got. So, so I'm just you know. So it's been a, a journey for us 
you know, for the feminine to come forth. And uh, that's just been part of my journey, part of my karma, to be, be involved in that. So thank you for asking. Thank you for bringing that forward. Yeah. Is there... Yeah. You know, sort of carrying the analogy forward, I really appreciate this huge kitchen that you've created for us. Okay. And there's just all this alchemy of not only theory, but just practice. You know, accessibility to the Dharma mm-hmm. in a very practical way. And, um, yeah, I don't know where I'm going to take yeah. this, cause, mm-hmm. but I don't, I'm not worried about that yeah. either. Mm-hmm. As I came in here with this big question, and um, you know, and I, I think mm-hmm. and I also appreciate bringing in not only the you know the humor, but the heartbreak that keeps it going. You know, why we stay engaged yeah. is because that's when you feel the suffering. It's, yeah. You know, it's it's there, but and and to be felt, but also the way through. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm so, so pleased that you were here and that, you know, this is uh, feeding you, nourishing you in terms of how you'll move forward. And I'm so happy to hear you don't feel the anxiety about not knowing how this is going to take shape. Yeah, you can just rest and trust in the way that this will unfold for you. And, and, it's, and I, as I was saying, I, your name was Yvonne? Yvonne, yeah. What we were talking about was that there's actually, this is a time in Buddhist um, uh, 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 unfolding that we as a group are starting to get more engaged actively in the way, in the world. And that's new. That's probably new in the last five years. So there's a, more and more of a collective energy, act, active energy to be more engaged and make a difference in, in facing some of the um, challenges that, that are in the world right now around climate change. That's where these virtual communities around diversity, uh, systemic racism, you know, I mean, it's really uh, very exciting uh, gender identities. You know, it's, um, so uh, there's, a, there's a lot that, uh, that's being uncovered and we are getting involved. Mm-hmm. So it's an exciting time. And I have resources for that on my website as well. Is there any like feminist or sexism kind of bent in that area that you mentioned? No. (laughs) (laughs) There isn't. (laughs) It's still one of the ones that's somewhat hidden. It's really, there's kind of the appearance that women are more involved, but it hasn't really come through yet. It's still, still pretty much controlled by the patriarch. So, so, so we're just, start, that's what, that one's just starting to be, be played with, worked with. <laughs> you and then you, Ellen. Especially given what you just said about um, your own family, can you say just a little about what started you on your path? Well, I'll just uh, take a, a moment uh, to, uh, um, I had a nervous breakdown when I was 27. <laughs> I wasn't involved in any kind of meditation or dharma or anything. I was just in the world, the conventional, you know, just going along, and I, I was having, and I had a nervous. I just couldn't couldn't handle it anymore. I had a nervous breakdown, so so um, I uh, looked for some some way out, some support, and somebody recommended meditation. And at that time, all there was was transcendental meditation. It was just TM and maybe the Zen fringes of Zen, but that was too far out there, you know. So so I started with TM, 
And then, and then uh, two years later, I met James Barras. <laughs> and he was just starting to teach. That was in 1977. He was, he was just starting to offer courses when I moved here in San Francisco. And so it all opened up from there. <laughs> so James and I, I went to, I, uh, James started the very first sitting group in, uh, the, in San Francisco in 1977. And um, uh, I went to it and there were three of us. There was, there was me, James, and his roommate. <laughs> See? <laughs> yeah, and then James started off bringing some teachers out and offering retreats, and I would just uh, help manage those and cook on those. And so the whole, the whole thing just started from there. It just started mushrooming. And then Jack Cornfield actually came out later and uh, joined what was happening here. So it kind of all kind of mushroomed. Some, someday somebody will, will write this history of, the, of, of it out and we'll, we'll get it, see how it all, all happened. Thank you. It actually helped when I meditated. I, I, I came through it. <laughs> That's why I'm still here. <laughs> And then, yeah, one more, and then we'll... Uh, well, I, wanted, I was curious about James's connection to the um, Eastern um, Tibetan um, yeah, groups and how they respond to the development of the American Buddhist tradition. Well, um, well the t- Tibetan Buddhism is a, is a different array of Buddhism. So it's, a very, it's very, quite a different practice. And so, you know, it went from the early India... Indian teachings, and then it moved to Tibet, and so t- t- the Tibetan Buddhism took shape with the religion, the spirituality in Tibet at the time, which was a, a Bon kind of a sh- more of a animistic, shamanistic kind of uh, culture, and then Buddhism got intertwined with that. So it takes on a very, very different form, very different worldview. Um, it wasn't, I think, until about fifteen years ago that the Theravadan Buddhists in the West and the Tibetan Buddhists in the West spoke to each other. There wasn't, there wasn't even, they, they did their thing and we did our thing and Zen people did their thing and, you know, we were all just kind of independent and then we started having inter-Buddhist conferences where we started, we thought, maybe it's a good idea if we start talking to each other. <laughs> and, then, and then there started to be a bit more overlay we started sitting with some of the Tibetan teachers and they would come and do some Vipassana because it's all, the, the teachings are all based in the Pali Canon, the foundational teachings of the Buddha. So it's not like it's, they're, you know, they're all, they all subscribe to those foundational teachings that we've been doing here. So, but then they go off into their more, their worldview depending on their culture. So, so it's, um, we're just kind of, now I think we're sort of exploring and experimenting different uh, forms, different forms of practice, and it's all very congenial. Very, it's, a, it's opened things up. You know, I've, sat with a, I've sat with a lot of um, Tibetan teachers and done retreats, and uh, it's really informed my practice. It's been wonderful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I just want to say thank you. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, you've changed my life and saved my life so many times. I can hardly never say thank you. But on behalf of everyone that's 
been around you, that knows you, that has gotten your teachings, I can assure you we are all so, so grateful for that. So thank you, Shari. Mm, thank you, Laurie. Well, you know that it meant a lot for me that you came. Mm-hmm. Thank you. <laughs> so, I think we're filled up. The heart is full. Well, my, heart, my heart is full. <laughs> and uh, what we'll do to end, um, to close, is um, um, we're going to... Uh, pick up the mats and put the chairs back and we're going to sit, stand in a circle uh, and you know if you need to take go to the bathroom or whatever but we'll come back for a circle and uh, but what I want to say just two more things before we end is that people have been asking me for the phrases, quotes you know maybe even the lists you know different things so I've collected that data <laughs> and <laughs> I'm going to be I'm going to get your email lists from the registrar and I'll send you out a uh, little resource page with all of that stuff. So, so you'll be getting that. So hopefully, and if, uh, I think I'll probably remember the things you've asked for. So those will be coming. Um, and lastly, but not um, leastly, I will really want to thank you for your dana and for your financial support and uh, for any way that you've uh, offered me uh, Donna, because um, it's really that which allows me to continue to uh, offer these teachings and make this the, the, uh, my, my livelihood to be in the seat of a, of a Dharma teacher. So, so I don't have any other sources of income. I only live on Donna and, um, and what people offer me. So I'm really, really grateful for your support so that I can continue doing this work. So thank you very, very much for that. So why don't we do this in silence? So what, I, I don't know if the, Anna mentioned this, but to take the mats and shake them out on the, the mats and the cushions and shake them out on the patio and then stack them over here, the, the mats and the pillows, and, and even stack the chairs uh, too high against the wall. And then we'll have a have a circle. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.